nice crowd. And uh, good to see everyone that's that's online as well. And uh, this morning's lesson is where I hope to be a lesson of encouragement, but it's also applicable to our times. But I'm going to go back and use some uh, Noah's account of the flood and uh, reveal some things. I gave a similar lesson, but this one's got a little bit different slant um, uh, on creation. Uh, I would say six to nine months ago, but this one has a little bit different slant, a little bit different data, and I'm not going to get into a lot of the scientific data today, but it's more or less to encourage us to keep our faith and, and to focus on God's commandments. On Wednesday night, we're studying uh, First, Second Kings right now, and we are about to come into the period that Hezekiah is studying. Hezekiah is, is going to become king, and Hezekiah is uh, going to stand faithfully with God in the presence of a large. Assyrian army that just destroyed the northern kingdom and he's going to stand there and he's going to put 100% of his faith in God. And so we're going to start off with a passage where Isaiah, this is the same time except I just described Isaiah's point of view but just a few years earlier Isaiah is telling the northern kingdom this message. And if you look in Isaiah, the 8th chapter, and I think this has very much to do with it. Someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. Isaiah 8, 19 through 22 is what we're going to read here. With their whisperings and mutterings, they will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? That's a question that Isaiah is asking. Should the living seek guidance from the dead? Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict His word are completely in the dark. By the way, I'm, I'm reading from the New Living Translation because it gives some words here that I think we can relate to a little easier. Um, but look to God's instructions and teachings, people who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry, and because of their hunger, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at earth, but when, wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. So during Hezekiah's time, we see here uh, in the northern kingdom, Isaiah telling people, hey, you need to be turning to your God. You need to be seeing what God wants you to do, not what you're trying to get these mediums uh, to tell you. And I think today we can kind of look at that and we say, well, that's kind of silly. We wouldn't, we wouldn't go to a Most everyone here would not go to a medium. But I will tell you, I see uh, whatever their name is, Madam, whatever, and you know, and they're there. I've seen them 
you know, I've lived on this earth and I keep, keep seeing them. So that people must be uh, going by and asking them questions. They must be making some money because they're, they're still there. Most of us wouldn't do that. But what if we take the word medium and put in the word scientist? Let's ask the scientists and those who have greater knowledge than the rest of us. I'm making this up, okay? And let them tell us what's going to happen. Now, in my lifetime, I was educated in public schools. I'm not speaking against public schools. I actually love public schools, and I think they serve a great purpose. But I think in our public schools, we teach things that are against the Bible, and we do it under the auspices of science. I think we see today, and, and so whenever I say this, I'm not going to say this from the perspective that we should throw everything out. But we just said, hey, if we just shut the economy down for two months, three months, we'll get rid of this thing. That's what the scientists say. You know, let's follow the science. Well, I think we're going to have to wade through this, but the point is, scientists don't have all the answers. Now, for everybody, people that's visiting, I'm, I love science. I make my living off of numbers and science. I am huge scientific junkie. But what I figured out is sometimes just like we see in our society today, people have a narrative that they want to present and they make the data fit the science. But as we read Isaiah, we see God telling us in verse 20, look to God's instructions and his teachings. And as Christians, that's what we have to focus on. Now, why is this important? Because I'm going to go back to Noah and talk about that. But this is very important because in Matthew 24, Christ uses verses 37, Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Christ is quoting Noah, talking about Noah here. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day of Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man. The point I'm saying is, if science tells us that the earth is a billions of years old and there was never a flood that covered the earth. We just made Christ a liar. Because Christ just referenced back to Genesis. And the Genesis account is a lie. Do you see the logic there? And I think that's very important that we go back and we see what God tells us to do. We've got to have faith. Because my entire life, I have heard the Grand Canyon formed over millions of years. 
Well, you know what? There's data now that as we reformat some of the data and look at it from a biblical perspective, guess what? The Grand Canyon might have formed over days. And in mine in your lifetime, not to young people, but in mine in your lifetime, we remember in 1980 a story called Mount St. Helens. We blew, we, listen to me, we, no, we did, during our time, Mount St. Helens Mountain blew off. Well, within an eight-hour period, a valley was totally filled with 600 feet of dirt. Now, if a geologist is in here, he's going to correct me. It's not all dirt. They have different layers, and they have different things that they're going to call it. But for us Southerners, we're going to call it dirt. For me. 600 feet. So people right now stand on dirt 600 feet above where they used to stand. Now I want you to think about it. 600 feet. That's up in the sky. That's where the clouds are. That's pretty high. And it happened in eight hours of time because of natural causes. Now what's interesting is there's canyons now where that 600 feet are. But guess what happened? It didn't happen over a million years. It happened two years later, whenever a huge rain came, liquefied things up on Mount St. Helens, according, you know. And within hours, 100-foot canyons were carved out in that valley from the sand and the water. We know this. We have this all documented. So if you go look at that perspective, we know eight hours we filled up a valley, and we know two years later liquefied sand, a slurry of sand and water, 50% water, 50% sand, all of this is documentable, cut out granite and move granite rocks. Now we've seen that in our lifetime. We know that. It didn't happen over billions of years. It didn't happen over 50 years. So the other thing I would tell you is in World War II, some of our pilots was transporting <coughs> bombers over to Europe. Something happened and they had to ditch their planes on Greenland. Well, this rich Texan, 50 years later, wanted those planes because he was going to restore them and they, you know, whatever his hobby was. So he went looking for them. So within 50 years, the planes were not where they were supposed to be because the glacier was calving, it was moving towards the ocean. We know that. But in Greenland, in the southern tip, where the Gulf Stream comes up, warm water, those planes were buried 250 feet deep under snow in 50 years. Why is that? 
because warm water comes up and that tip of Greenland gets more snow than anywhere else in Greenland. And so we have plains that 50 years ago was buried. Now all that has scientific stuff for us Christians because people are using ice samples, cores, to say this happened and here's the layers. Well, the question is, are those years or are those storms? But if you go back to God's account, how do we look at the data? How do we look at the Grand Canyon? Do we look at it from a narrative of millions and billions of years because that's what we say we got to have for evolution? Or do we say, this could have happened in a flood? You and I will never solve that problem, most likely, to where we know, because we were not there. But so I want you to take your Bibles, and before we turn, I just want to point out too, Hebrews 11.7, the, uh, the Hall of Faith, Noah's mentioned there. Uh, Second Peter, we, we have uh, preachers, uh, elders, and apostles preaching about Noah in the New Testament. And so it's important that we do not discount these stories in the Old Testament. But what I will argue to you today is science is catching up with the Bible. There's people in the last 200 years that have died believing the wrong thing in the name of science. Whether it's DNA or whether it's the finches on the Galapagos Islands, whatever it might be, we're proving all of that wrong today. And as Christians, where do we go first? And so let's just so let's go back. You know, I, I realize I, I haven't read the flood account in many years. I mean, that's what you teach the small kids. But guess what? Our schools today are discounting these stories in the name of science. But what's interesting is new science comes along, we don't get that reported. And so we have to go looking for it. So chapter 6, we have 6, 7, 8, and chapter 9 that covers this story. Four chapters covers the flood story. Four chapters. That Moses contributes to this story. Our Lord and Savior quotes it. Numerous authors quote it in the New Testament. So, let's just kind of look at this. Now, one of the things that I want you to look at and think about is we don't get into all the technicalities of how God did it. But he does give us a little bit of insight. And people that are interpreting and things that we're able to, to do now, the seismic um, information that we can get in the depths of the sea, some of this stuff is coming to light. But in chapter 6, starting there, notice it all goes back to the evil 
or the righteousness of mankind in God's actions. God didn't flippantly just say, I'm going to destroy the world. He did it because of man's evil or lack of evil in Noah's case, his righteousness. So in verse 3, we're just going to skim through this and kind of hit the highlights. My My spirit... The Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. So when Noah was 580 years old, we see God coming to him and says, I'm tired of mankind. 120 years, I'm going to destroy you. That's what he's saying here. Now, in verse 4, and I'm going to point out verse 4 as I'm up here. This is one of those things. I have no clue what verse 4 means. I am not going to sit up here and tell you. If you come up here after services, I've kind of done a little bit. I haven't done a lot of research, but I don't understand verse 4. But you know what? I don't have to understand verse 4 100% to have faith. But I know it's here. And I know it means something. And I just don't understand it yet. And that's my faith. The Nephilim were on earth in those days. And also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men. They bore children to them. They were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. I'm not going to explain that passage to you this morning. Because I don't understand it. Just as I don't understand every passage in the Bible. But my faith is that this is inspired of God and I can believe it and I'm going to try to work to get my science to fit the Bible's narrative. And that's, that's what we're seeing today. Science is finally catching up to the Bible. But notice how, so going on down to verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Notice We're still focused on righteousness and evil. What does that tell you and I? It's what we should be focused on. That's what's going to save us. Verse 7, The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds in the sky, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 8 there. Don't we want to find favor in God's eyes? Don't we want to be that person that says, like God said about Job, have you considered my servant Job? Can you imagine Noah walking in this world that God is describing here? That every intent of man is evil. Can you imagine the laughter, the ridicule of him building this boat that God's going to flood the earth? But Noah was a righteous man. As it says in verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless 
in his time, Noah walked with God. Now we can read on over in chapter 9 where Noah sinned. So I don't think Noah was perfect, just like Abraham wasn't, just like Moses wasn't, just like everybody else. We all sin and fall short. But what is the intent of our heart and where are we going with it? We all are going to fall. But Noah was seen as a righteous man. Uh, verse 11, we, we repeat, the earth was corrupt inside of God and the earth was filled with violence. Can you imagine an earth where somebody wanted something and they just went and took somebody's life? And you can kind of see that in verse in chapter 9 where he talks about it is not right to take man's life. You can kind of see God pointing out that this was the corruption before the flood. Verse 13, Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. And notice the focus is still on righteousness. So we get into some of the details that he gives us. As for you, take for yourself, in verse 21, I'm sorry, and, and these are there's a lot here. In other words, and, and there's a lot more information here. But I encourage you to go back and read it and start reading it critically. As for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible and gather it to yourselves and it shall be for you and for them. Thus Noah did. And the reason I put this is Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. Now I want you to think about Noah's position. Noah's never seen a flood. Noah's building this 450-foot ship, three stories, one window and one door, uh, and one gangplank to come on. He's never seen this before. What faith? What faith? We get in chapter 7. And, and notice he followed God's command. Guys, I'm giving y'all this lesson because I need it. Y'all don't get this lesson because y'all need it. Y'all get it because I need it. But just think about verse 22. Verse 1 of chapter 7, Noah entered the ark and all your... The Lord told Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone have seen to be righteous before me in this time. Verse 4, For after seven days, seven more days, I will send rain in forty days and forty nights. I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Now Noah was six hundred years old. Verse 6, I'm skipping, I'm skipping things. Uh, I shouldn't skip verse 5. Noah did according to all the Lord had commanded him. That's repeated. Sometimes we have to do things not know the outcome. If you know me, that's hard. I'm an engineer. I got to be able to calculate the outcome. But that's not what I'm called for as a Christian. I have to act on faith. Verse 6, Now Noah was 600 years old when the flood of the water came upon the earth. There is an age given. There is time in here. 
Verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day, we're getting down to details. Today. On the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. We all see rain. We all understand rain. What are those floodgates from the deep? We know what that is. We'll talk about that later on. Well, we're going to talk about it now. What if you had a volcano occurring in the ocean? What if the ocean's waters are heating up? Number one, hot water expands slightly, but we know what our oceans are, so if you start heating it up, and if you start heating it up, how do we get hurricanes? Hot water evaporates, goes up, and we get floods in Georgia, right? <coughs> That's how that happens. Well, what if there starts to be volcanoes everywhere? What if the tectonic plates are moving now? What if? Because that's what the data is. You can interpret the data many different ways. Either it happened over a billion years or it happened in a year. That's why I went and gave you the example of Mount St. Helens of what occurred in days. Hours, not days, hours. And several different events. And we see what can happen. But we don't have to understand how God did it. Our job is to read this and say it did happen like this. That's mine and your job. Now, I will admit to you, I'm the junkie that sits around looking for where's the science behind this. Or where's the evidence that God did this. And I'm glad to tell you today there is lots of evidence. And there's a groups, there's groups of people out there, PhDs, that are pointing this out. That, yeah, you can look at the data that way, but this actually fits the data better. And it's God's narrative. Then the flood came upon, the, verse 17, the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased, lifted up the ark, and it rose above the earth. The water prevailed, increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. Now, I will be honest with you. As a child and as a young man, I had a problem with that verse. Anybody ever, Mount Everest, how high Mount Everest is? And I'm sitting there thinking, man, that's a lot of water on Earth. But now science is telling us possibly that if the continents did drift during the flood, that India coming up and hitting the Asian continent maybe pushed Mount Everest up after the flood. We don't hear that story, but that story is being told now because that's what some of the data says. And it didn't, you know, because right now Mount Everest is still moving upward because of the continental drift. But what if it occurred in a year? What if India 
was moving fast and hit. Is that how we got the Sierra Nevadas? Is that how we got mountain ranges that we have today? The point I'm trying to make is read the scriptures and have faith in the scriptures because man has not figured it all out. Uh, the waters prevailed, increased greatly upon the earth. Ark flowed in the surface. The water prevailed. Uh, so in verse 19, the high mountains everywhere. The water prevailed, and this, this is interesting, in verse 20. The waters prevailed 15 cubic higher, and the mountains were covered. So 15 cubits there, plus or minus 21 and a half, 22 feet. Nobody, unless you had a way to tread water for a year, can survive that. Now, being a diver and somebody who spends a lot of time in the ocean, I don't think that's possible. But, th but think about that detail that's given here. That 22 feet above the highest peak water's covered. So I tell you, I had a big problem with this, but now that I'm understanding some of the things that, you know, how you how we describe things and how we're seeing things, an alternative point of view, uh, it makes sense. Verse 24, the water prevailed upon the earth for 150 days. Go into chapter 8. Verse 2, also the fountains of the deep, the floodgates of the sky were closed and the rain from the sky was restrained. Here again, those floodgates from the deep. And the water receded steadily from the earth and at the end of 150 days the water decreased. Seven months and seven days uh, of the month the ark rested upon Mount Ararat. The water decreased steadily uh, until the 10th month. In the 10th month, the first day, of the first month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Verse 10, so he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent out a dove from the ark. We don't have a lot of details about this ark. We don't have a lot of details of that. But, you know, I was sitting there thinking, well, I know there's a raven, I know there's a dove on, the, on there. And the interesting thing after the flood is the diversity of the animals that we have after the flood are much smaller. You know, we have 10 million different breeds of dogs. I'm being facetious. I don't know what the number is, but we got all kind of dog breeds. But we know we can breed dogs. But at the end of the day, we can all recognize a dog. We can all recognize cats. Now, what, Mo, what, what Noah put on the ark, I have no clue. Did he put a little poodle on there? I think it had to be functional, so it was a hound dog. <laughs> Poodle's not functional. No offense to anybody has a poodle. <coughs> Sandra's dog is not functional. But it's low. Look out now. But at the end of the day, we're not given all those details. I cannot tell you how he fed all those animals. But I know this is what it tells me. That he was on that boat and the waters covered the earth. And the Lord smelled. And, and so at the end of the day, um, they get off the boat. 
And uh, at the end of the day, verse 21, the Lord smelled the soothing aroma because Noah sacrificed to the Lord. I will never again curse, and God says, I will never curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. And so we go through that whole passage there. And we see the flood account. We need to be very cautious to try to get the Bible narrative to fit the scientific narrative of today. We need to be working to say, I don't understand that, just like I told you in verse 4, verse 6, verse 4. I don't understand it. But I know what Isaiah told me is to go to the instructions and the teachings of God first and focus on that. And as Christians, we need to do that. So here's some things. I mentioned Mount St. Helens. We now know radiocarbon data is no good because, because they were going to zero their radiocarbon data machine out because they were going to use coal to do that. Because coal is millions and millions of years old and there should be no radiocarbon in the coal. Well, guess what? There was radiocarbon in the coal. But they could put a nothing in the machine and the machine would go to zero, but with coal they would show. So be careful, because radiocarbon dating now, they're saying, yeah, probably good for 1,500 years before Christ. Can't use radiocarbon dating after World War II because the atomic bomb and the nuclear testing that we did after that changed radiocarbon data on Earth. I mentioned the Grand Canyon. There's very much evidence that says that happened quickly. I, I'm at the end of the lesson. We need to close. I encourage you, I've, I've mentioned to a few of you, is, is Genesis history. Uh, if you, YouTube, the nice thing now, we don't we can turn the news off and go watch what we want to, is Genesis history. There's a lot of videos on this whole subject, and there's PhDs on there and say, well, this is the way I interpret the data. This is why what you see in textbooks, you know, I would, I would look at that differently. And the data keeps piling up as we get more modern and more modern things and we see things differently and we can we're seeing the Genesis account more true than the billions of years so going back to the beginning of the lesson let's not ask mediums consult the spirits verse 20 look to God's instructions and teachings people who contradict his word are completely in the dark as Christians I'm going to tell you it's hard to do what that just said. But we're going to study Wednesday night in the next two lessons on Wednesday night. We're going to study where the northern kingdom went to the mediums and then we're going to look at Hezekiah. And Hezekiah 
did something I don't think I could have done. I always look at Hezekiah and just think, I marvel sitting there looking at that Assyrian army and knowing they just took three years and destroyed everything north of him. And he went to God's teachings and he went to God's instructions. Hezekiah's faith is this big. My faith is that big. We've got to grow in our faith and we've got to look to God's teachings. That's the lesson. We are in difficult times. Please focus on God's teachings. He will get us. Because at the end of the day, whether it's this pan pandemic or whatever it is, if we die today and we go to heaven, what have we lost? We haven't lost anything. So focus on God and focus on His Word. Let's, let's spend a lot more time in the Bible, less, less news, and uh, less Facebook, less Instagram, more scriptures, more meditation on God's Word. If there's anyone here, let's, we always have the invitation. Anyone that would like to come forward, please come forward as we stand and sing.